Hey everyone, and welcome to the Christ Family Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've made the decision to take time out of your day to join us virtually. Whether you're at home right now or listening on your way to work, we hope that you enjoy this week's teaching from Pastor Zachary Fraley. Currently, we are in our last message of our series called Vision 23, and this is where we as a church come together and we say, what is the vision of this church? Why did Jesus put us here at Crow Creek in Utica Ridge? What are, there are so many churches in our area, but what are we called to do? And so we take a quick moment, so three weeks, to just take a step back, look at our mission statement, look at what Jesus has called us to, and we ask the question, how can we be the church of Jesus Christ right now? in this moment and for this city. So if it is your first time here, I just want to let you know that um, this is more of an internal message. I want to thank you for joining us, but this is a bit of a different sermon than would normally be uh, presented on a Sunday. Um, This is our one time a year where we recenter, where we focus on our mission. So I'd encourage you, if it is your first time, come back next week when we jump into our sermon series on 31 Days of Prayer, um, which is going to be an exciting time. But this is also, if it is your first time, a wonderful time for you to come here and actually hear what our church is about, you know, hear what our church's mission is, what we focus on, the five sort of central things that we believe a disciple of Jesus who goes through our church should be living out in their lives. So with all of that said, I'm going to start reading. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Matthew 28. Um, That is in the latter part of the Bible, but if you have gone to Revelation, you're too far. If you're in Malachi, just skip on over will be in Matthew 28 today. So that is the end of the first gospel. And I'll be reading there uh, verses 1 to 10 and then 16 through 20. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay, and then go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there, and, and they will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Will you pray with me? Jesus, just in a moment of silence, we come before you and we thank you for your life. We thank you for the life that you gave up freely, but the life that did not stay in that tomb, the life that broke free, Jesus, and the life that is moving even right now amidst us and in our church. Jesus, we pray that as we read this scripture, as we read this, Father, that these words wouldn't be 
like something we're watching on a movie, something that we're watching happen. But Jesus, we would live these words as if you are speaking them to us right now, as if you are telling us to go and make disciples. Jesus, don't let us just become complacent. Don't let us become apathetic. But Jesus, let us take up the charge that you gave to the church, the mission that you said as soon as you came out of that tomb, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that you have commanded them. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to make disciples, disciples of you that are resilient, disciples of you that follow after you, even in the midst of a world that seems to be turning away. And Jesus, I pray that you would help this church to run fully with everything that we are after you, with everything that we have in us. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. So in our reading today, we see Jesus's tomb empty. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, come to the tomb and there was an earthquake, an angel, and then they saw Jesus. They were the first. And Jesus instructs Mary and the disciples, hey, go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking at that point. Uh, you know, hey, Jesus said he wants to meet you in Galilee. He has risen from the grave, okay? He's going to meet you over there on a mountain. I mean, some of them were probably like, I denied him. Is he going to yell at me? Is he going to be mad? Some of them were probably like, I let them take him and put him on a cross. Is, what is he going to say? Is, is he going to be mad at me? Is this actually going to be a prank where Ashton Kutcher pops out and says, ha, got you? You know, what's going to happen? Oh, also, where's Thomas? He should probably be here to see this because he's fairly doubting every now and again, right? What are they thinking as they go? And then they go to the mountain, possibly fearful, maybe some of them with nervous tummies going, oh, I should, prob I should probably use the restroom before I came here. And then Jesus looks at them and he doesn't waste any time and he gets straight to the business as if he is in a hurry. For the first time, we almost see Jesus in a hurry. It's like when you have a boss and they go away on vacation or your pastor goes to conference and then comes back with all these new ideas and vigor and excitement. Jesus saw some, some stuff when he was dead for three days. And in his mind, it is perfectly clear on his job description and the job description of disciples. He knows exactly what a follower of Jesus looks like now and what it doesn't because some of his so-called followers left him. He knows what needs to happen now. So he gathers all of them for a big company meeting and he gives them what we call today the Great Commission, a command, instructions, and the vision of what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. And he doesn't start with a mission statement or core values. He goes straight into it. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. And with his first act of authority, Jesus gives his followers their job description, their calling, calling which applies to us now, what they are supposed to do. And I love that the first word there, it's not, hey, you guys, let's meet and let's pray and all that stuff. It says, go, get out of here, get moving. The Greek word there, it's, um, it, the Greek word there is pereo. And what it means, it's actually been used three times in this chapter. First, Jesus says, go quickly, tell my disciples to the women, Mary and Mary, who were there. And then it says the women were going, parueo, and then it's used for when the disciples started going. There's obviously some action packed in with this word. It's not just, hey, go. It's not just an idyllic statement. It's not just a goal. It is a word that is packed with action. For Jesus and throughout this chapter, the word therefore go, it's not just tied again to some nice little goal or something that like, oh, cool, if disciples feel like they um, can share the gospel or, you know, if the opportunity arises to make disciples of Jesus, if you feel like it and the stars align and whatever, 
But instead, this word go is packed with action. Not only did it meant go, but it also meant the process of going. It meant go and get going, get out there, okay? Or as my grandma would say, get, okay, G-I-T. I don't know what it meant, but I was afraid whenever she said it, you know, southern things. Jesus says, go, do this. And the next part is not, again, some ideal for the church, but it is our central calling. It is what the church was made to do. It is what, why this church was founded and why they erected this building and why they started meeting in 1977. It is why we are here. It says, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Woo! That's good. I I feel like tears almost welling up in my eyes. Some of you aren't surprised because I cry a lot. It's okay. Um, But just in a moment of observation and reflection, for those of you who have been in church, and I mean um, the global church for over a few years, how well are you living into this command? How well are you living into this great commission? How many of you have gone or are in the process of going or are still waiting to go? How well are we making disciples? How well are we making people who observe all that Jesus has commanded us? How well are we at our literal commission and calling as disciples of Jesus? There's this old leadership maxim, and it says, your system is perfectly designed to produce what you are getting. The system and what the church in the U.S. is perfectly designed to produce the results that we are getting. All the things that you see wrong with Christians today, all the qualms that you have with them, well, we have to look inward. And we have to ask how the church is designed to produce non-resilient disciples when our primary calling is to make disciples of Jesus. And I look around at disciples in this world and I see an anemic faith so many times, turning from the truth of Jesus, not observing what Jesus commanded us. And I know this realization is not unique to me. I'm not the only one that sees this and that keeps that gets caught up at night with this. So what are we going to do about it? right? Okay, cool. If this is our calling and our mission, if this is what we are getting our report card graded off of, what would our grade be? In this church, it is great at taking disciples of Jesus and helping them to grow deeper in their faith. This church is unlike any other with their commitment to God's truth that I have ever seen. However, how are we making new disciples? How are we at fulfilling our call straight from Jesus himself to not just grow disciples, but to make them to make disciples out of people who are not? This is a vital question, one that our staff asks, one that I ask, but is important for our church to have the question before their eyes too. So how do we do this? Well, I'd like to turn our attention to something called RAGBRAI, okay? I don't know if any of you have done it. I know Miss Debbie and her husband have done it and um, a few others in our church. But this past year, I participated in RAGBRAI. And when people ask me, oh, how was it? I go, it was horrible and amazing. Okay. It was horribly amazing. Most focus on the horrible. And now that I'm like, you know, a few months out of it, I'm like, okay, that was great. I think I can do it last. I think I can do it next year. But at the time I was like, I am never going to be sweating on the hills of Iowa peeing in a cornfield. Okay. Now I'm like, I can't wait. Okay. It's, it sounds awesome to me for some reason, but Ragbri is horribly amazing. It's horrible and amazing all at the same time. 
But it's this amazing, horribly ride, horrible ride across Iowa that I went on this past summer with two of my friends from our church. And what happens is the leaders, whoever they may be of Ragbri, they pick out this ride, this route for 20 to 60,000 people to ride on, this pre-planned route. And many people, they do the whole thing, like Debbie Kincaid, our teacher in Young Children in Worship, because she's amazing, okay? I do not have the strength that she has or the mental fortitude to do it all um, like she did. I only did four days and still, like, I was like, I can barely walk after it, okay? I did it from Ames to Davenport and did 264 miles. I would have done 300, but one day when it was like 108 degrees, I cashed out. I was like, Blair, come and pick me up. And my seven-month pregnant wife came and retrieved me. Um, thank you, honey. But for 50 years, the leaders of Ragbri have picked out this route. And faithfully, hundreds of thousands of people over those years have participated in it, have ridden in it. And so me, being the ridiculous person that I am, thought, you know what? I should do this. I sort of like riding on a bike. Let's go and do a miserable thing together with 20,000 other people. Doesn't that sound great? Okay, pretty sure I sweat more than I ever have in my life. But it was different than any of the other rides that I've done. Because I normally pick out my own routes. I'll go on Strava. I'll click, you know, I want to go on 80 miles. And what happens with my routes is normally something happens where um, every now and again, I will get totally off course or I'll hit a gravel road or I'll have to reroute or I'll just be too tired to keep going. And then Dylan's like, it's okay, we can do this. And I'm like, I think I'm going to die. My heart is bursting out of my chest. And normally when I pick my route, it is bumpy and it is not that great. So I pick my route. It's normally okay, but Ragbri is different, okay? I have pros picking out the route for me, which one day it was 92 miles and had 31 hills, okay? Again, horribly awesome, mostly horrible. But the difference with Ragbri is that it is picked by pros who drive ahead. They make sure that the route works. They test out the route, strategically place towns in between so you can get your pie and rest in between. It works compared to mine that has me rerouting every now and again. The difference is that professionals who have experience in training picking out those routes, their life revolves around cycling and living on two wheels compared to me, a relative amateur whose life doesn't revolve around being on two wheels. Now, did we both plan routes? Yes. Did we both ride bikes? Yes. But Ragbri's is planned by pros. And in addition, anyone can ride across Iowa whenever they want. If any of you want to just go on the Ragbri route, you can go there right now and do it. But it's something different when you're doing it with other people. Why Ragbri? Why did Debbie, Calvin, Mark, Sue, Judy, Don, why have these and countless others in our church participated in it? Because it's different when you are in community riding your bike with 60,000 others who are on the same struggle bus as you, except for the 80-year-olds with the electric scooters that just go past you. It's okay. Still working in my heart to forgive them. You know, I'm like dying up the hills and they're like, hey, what's up? Not even sweating. It's all good. But there's this palpable energy in Ragbri. And it's different when you are doing it with community and friends. Ragbri, it's a route picked out by practitioners of biking who are surrounded by community. And I believe very strongly these things go for the church as well. Could you map out your own path to be a disciple of Jesus? Yes, I am sure that you can, yes. But what if a practitioner of faith that was trained in discipleship and spiritual growth, uh, that had years of schooling and experience, prayerfully met with other faith leaders and prayed through a process for you to go from a beginning disciple to a life of love, a route, 
a pathway and a process with Jesus to help you grow as a disciple of him. You might have less reroutes than if you made it on your own like I do when biking. What if someone literally gave their whole life's work to helping others grow as followers of Jesus and they came up with the pathway or what we call our discipleship pathway, a structure to help you become more like Jesus that is straight out of scripture? I probably like that a bit better at times. But additionally, you can do this process alone by yourself. You can go through that just like you could ride across Iowa right now on your bike all by yourself, you nonconformist, radical individual you with maybe a little bit of stubbornness in there, but it's okay. It makes you who you are. But there's something different about doing it in community. There's something different about living a life in conjunction and with others as compared to life on your own. Just like a ride across Iowa with 60,000 other people on the struggle bus is better than doing it by yourself. In the same way, you can be a disciple of Jesus on your own. You could go your own way. You could choose your own path, map it out, and go off by yourself. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. Even both of the commands where Jesus said, go, it was given to a group of people. It wasn't given to someone in isolation but uh, by the grave of Jesus himself. But he gave it to two women. Then he gave it to his disciples. And the same command he gives to our church here and now, today, this moment in history, says, go, get out there. Go to Hy-Vee and make disciples. Go to the gas station and make disciples. Go to your dinner table and make disciples. Go into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus has commanded. And we are supposed to know that he is with us even until the end of the age. So that's great, Jesus awesome. We've probably read it. I remember my first sermon ever that I preached when I was just a little baby Christian in college at a worship night. had this this in there because it was so central. But how do we do it? How is the church prayerfully embarking on making disciples of Jesus? Well, I'm glad that you asked because for the rest of this, I want to talk about that because this is the work of my life up to this point. It is the fruits of sleepless nights asking, how can we do this better? While my wife rolls over and now has started snoring because she's pregnant, um, I'm still staying up going, how can our church make more and better disciples of Christ? Not just accepting the status quo, doing as all the other churches do, because that's not what we are called to do. It came chiefly out of the struggle of COVID too. I was a youth pastor and, um, and I had a, grown a youth ministry up to 300 and plus kids who came every Wednesday night and we did amazing things. There were kids who were diving in, who were disciples of Jesus and then COVID hit and more than half of them turned away from coming to church, turned away from the faith. It dwindled to 120 kids. And so the heartbreak from those kids turning away from Jesus it led me inward to start asking the questions about our faith and what we have inherited. Is it the best model for our cultural moment? Are we doing everything that we can to fulfill this great commission call? If our system is so perfectly designed to produce what it has been producing, then where do we need to optimize it to create resilient disciples of Jesus of Nazareth? And last summer at a cabin on the Wapsie River, Coming out of scripture and prayer came our discipleship pathway. It's a five-step process, but I want to be clear. It's not linear. It's not one, two, three, four. It's more like one, two, back to one, five, four, three, you know, and going all over it, largely where the Holy Spirit leads. And this is in no way the only way to do it. This is just this church's way. There are many ways to go across Iowa, but I choose to go on Ragbri's way. And there are many ways to grow into the image of Jesus. This is our church's way. 
These are five steps and vital parts that we believe every disciple of Jesus should be growing in each year as they apprentice under Jesus Christ of Nazareth and areas that uh, Jesus grows us in as well. This is what our church wants to help you grow in. This is also straight out of the life of Christ. And we believe that every disciple who comes through our doors should be equipped to grow in these five areas. And again, let me be clear, this is not comprehensive in nature, but these are what our church focuses on. Other churches focus on what they see fit and what God has called them to do, but these are the priorities of this body of Christ, this church. This is the Ragbri route we have mapped out in hopes of getting from point A to point B and the end goal being a lifelong disciple of Jesus who helps others to grow as well. And it looks like this. Knowing, growing, seeking, teaching, and blessing. So I'm going to break down what all of these are, but this is what we believe a disciple of Jesus who goes through our church after 80, 90, 400 years should be growing and grown in, knowing it's number one and believe it's where every disciple of Jesus starts as they begin to follow Jesus. It's also the step that we need to come back to every day. Knowing God is so much more than just coming to church and going home. It's daily choosing to follow Jesus, daily engaging with the Bible and allowing God's words to take residence in our hearts and lives. The word of God, it says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is divinely inspired. And the truth of Jesus and the daily opening of our Bibles is the most important thing that we can do as a beginning Christian, but also as a deepening Christian a deepening follower of Jesus. And that's why we have a daily Bible reading plan called the Beyond Sunday. It's at the welcome desk if you want to get on that. But as a church, we dig into the Bible together because we believe that every follower of Jesus Christ should be equipped to know God. And what better way to know Jesus than to read the words that he has written to us, than to read the story and the account of how he bridged the divide between sin and death and us and made it to where we could know him if we read the words that he has written to us, the love letter of God's love and redemption story that he has for us, knowing it's vital. It's the first step of being a disciple, but also the step daily as we open our Bibles and grow closer to Jesus, as he uses his word to straighten out the crooked paths in our heart, to take the malformation out of us and to mold us daily into his image. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Paul bears it out like this. Actually, there we go. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, that the man and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what the word of God does. So for the disciple of Jesus who wants to grow closer to God, we must start with knowing God, knowing his character, knowing his truth, knowing his commands and what he calls each and every one of us to, not conforming to culture and what they say is right, but conforming to the word of God, not bringing God down to our understanding, but praying and asking him to bring our understanding up to him more and more every day. Growing, it's number two, and growing is particularly focused on our spiritual growth of the church. Paul speaks of spiritual growth and what happens as we behold God. He says, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image uh, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Basically, what this means is that now we, without the barrier of sin holding us back, can know God. And as the result, we are not conformed to this world, but are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Or in Pauline's words, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And let me be clear, this doesn't happen on our own. This doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by our own striving, but it comes as we behold God. 
I'm reading a book right now, and this priest, he enters into his church, and he sees what he calls a peasant just sitting there and smiling and beaming so much. And he looks at him, and he says, why are you so happy? And the, the man looks to him, and he says, I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. I just love that so much. It's been, I don't know if the word haunting is the right word, but it's been stuck in my mind throughout this week. This man just looks with simple faith. He says, I look at Jesus. Jesus looks at me and we are happy. As we behold God, as we look at him, we are formed more and more on him as we like him, as we focus our thoughts more and more on Jesus of Nazareth through the reading of scripture, spending time with him, we are made more and more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. As Paul says, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we know God, we can't help but grow more and more into reflections of him. We can't help but shine his glory. The reference Paul speaks of here is when Moses would come back from spending time with God, his face would literally glow so much that they were like, put a veil on, that is too bright. You know, they didn't have sunglasses back then. But we do not have that veil anymore. As disciples of Jesus, we do not have to uh, hold that back anymore, but we can let our light shine so forth for all the world to see because the same thing happens to us. When we spend time with God in prayer, through reading of scripture, when we radiate God's joy and love and strength, we'll do that wherever we go. As the disciple of Jesus knows God and knows Jesus, the disciple of Jesus can't help but grow more and more into him because it's God's work in the life of the disciple. You know, the old maxim, you show me your five friends, I'll show you your future, right? Um, we become like the five people that we are closest uh, attached to that we spend time together with. That's why I look at so many of our married couples in our uh, church today who have been together for years and years, and they have the same smiles and facial expressions, and it's because they become more and more like them. The same thing happens when we spend time with Jesus. For the sake of our world, we are transformed more into the image of him that is done by the Holy Spirit at work in us. And the best way for you to continue to grow, it's in community. It's with the people to the right and the left of you. That's why we focus so much on our family groups here, because we know that life doesn't happen in lines and in rows. It happens in circles. It happens when you are uh, seated next to someone, bearing your heart, listening to them. You can grow and you can ride the ragbri route right now, but it is not the same as when you are surrounded by community. And you can take the five things today, knowing, growing, seeking, teaching, blessing. You can leave right after the sermon, even right now. You can only come on Sundays or just listen on Facebook, which I would encourage you, join us on a Sunday. But it's not the same as when you have community around you. I almost stopped Ragbri a few times, but I had my friends spurring me on. I was literally doused in sweat, dripping. It looked like I'd jumped in the river, and I look over at Dylan, and he hasn't even sweat yet. Okay, his cheeks aren't even red and rosy. He's like, come on, Zachary, you can do this. And I'm like, I just want to go home. You know, uh, Bryce and I looked at each other. We were like, we could be in our offices right now not doing this. And I was like, yeah, why are we here? It's okay, right? But sometimes the life of a disciple is like that. It is hard being a Christian right now. It is difficult following Jesus in a world that seems to be turning away from him more quickly than ever. You can look to the right and to the left, and there are people in this room who will encourage you, don't, don't compromise, don't turn, into, uh, don't turn to sin, don't conform to this world, but let Jesus continue to transform you. That's why community is so important in this church. That's why it's also vital for us to have a multi-generational church and approach because even now, I look at the 60, 70, 80, 120-year-olds in our church who have faithfully followed Jesus through world wars and good and bad times, 
and I gain strength from them and from their resilience. Seeking, it's the third one. And seeking is our call as the church. It's evangelistic in nature. It's the go part of Jesus's call to get out there, to make disciples. It is evangelistic. And I want to be clear, it is not banging on doors. I'm not asking you to go door to door and tell people about Jesus. That's sort of scary. I'm an extrovert and I don't even want to do that, okay? Um, if you want to, that's okay. We'll, we'll let you do that. Um, that's scary for me though. Sometimes it works and we'll let you do that. But evangelism, I believe today looks different. It looks like opening your home to those who are different from you. It looks like inviting them to a dinner and a meal. It looks like being kind to the cashier and asking them how their day is going. It looks like creating friendships with those who are different from you in hopes that you can share the gospel with them. At its core, evangelism in our world currently looks like loving someone into the kingdom of God. There's a great book on this called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's the story about a woman who was living in sin, blatant sin, didn't even believe in God, and a pastor and his wife invite her for dinner. She started going to their house in hopes of gaining sort of ammo to make fun of them when she went and hung out with her friends and um, just to like learn, sort of like observe their life. And she saw the love that they have for her. And after years of going to their home, three years later, she became a follower of Jesus, turned from her sinful lifestyle, now is a pastor's wife and is helping others to follow Jesus but it all started with hospitality. Now, apologetics and facts, and that is all good. Handing out tracts at work sometimes, but we have to realize the generation that we are looking to uh, reach for the gospel, uh, millennials and Gen Z, they're different. It used to be win my mind with facts and you can win my heart. But now with this new generation of millennials and Gen Z, it's win my heart and maybe I will give you my mind. So how can we win their hearts? How can we love them into the kingdom of heaven? Another great book is Share Jesus Without Fear. And I read through this frequently. It changed my life and my ministry. Waylon Bauer can tell you all about the goodness of it and how great it is, but it teaches you how to share your faith. Not in a weird way, but a step-by-step process that just says, hey, here's some Bible verses. Let's read through them and, and let the Holy Spirit work. Seeking foe is a realization that the Christian life is not just about us. It's not about just our growth, but also helping others grow to be more and more like Jesus. The first two, knowing and growing, they're all us-centric, helping us know God, helping us grow to God. But the next three help us to focus on the world outside of our church, loving others into the kingdom of God and sharing with them the truth of Jesus. And the best way for you to do that is to share your personal story of redemption, of how God changed your life. Because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. A man with an experience of how God has changed their life is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can't tell me that God doesn't exist because I've seen him move in my life. I've been changed by his love. I have had my life radically transformed by the holy work of the Holy Spirit. And no one can ever tell me that God doesn't exist and that a life of purity and following Christ isn't worth it because I've seen Jesus work in and through my life. A broken, sinful, messed up person, human being who is going through knowing, growing, seeking, teaching, and blessing just like you. I, as a pastor, am not special. I am not perfect. I do, but I do desire with every fiber of my being to help you live into a gospel-centered life. And it starts so many times with us sharing the good news of Jesus. It starts with our verse where Jesus says, go, where Jesus says, get out there, make disciples of Jesus, share your life with them, love them into God's kingdom. The next one, so we have knowing, growing, seeking. And then the fourth one is teaching. And it focuses on our calling to the next generation, to reaching them with God's truth. And this one reminds us that our, our call to even lay aside our own preferences. The most poignant example of this came as I spoke with a mother of young teens in our church a few weeks ago. And she said, Pastor, 
I don't necessarily like the music all the time. I don't necessarily like the new stuff. But she looks at the pew next to her, to her young children, her teenage son, and she says, if it helps them to follow Jesus, then it's all worth it. If it helps them to engage with God, the truth of Jesus, then it makes it all worth it. Isn't that what it's all about? Instead of us getting our own way or music preferences met, I was actually praying about it this morning. When we come together on Sunday, we, we spend time about 16 to 20 minutes worshiping Jesus, singing songs. And wouldn't it be such a great tactic of the enemy of our souls to distract us instead of the truth that is on those words that we sing every Sunday to distract us from worshiping God instead of because he is good and mighty and instead get us to start thinking about ourselves, our preferences, our music styles, our choices. Wouldn't that be the cherry on top with music that is meant to help us focus on the goodness of God? Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. But instead to turn around and go, oh, I don't like the, the cajon that Spencer was playing. It's not greater. I don't really like the verses. Instead of thinking about those verses and allowing them to lead us into a deeper place of worship, we instead turn the mirror on ourselves and think about our preferences, our desires. Wouldn't that be such a great tactic of the enemy? I know, it does, I know that's not happening here, but if it was, wouldn't we, shouldn't we instead focus on Jesus and what he is doing? Has that ever happened to you? We here at CFC, we do all that we can to share the truth of Jesus with the coming generation, though, to equip them with the, to be the church of Jesus Christ on this earth. And we come to worship Jesus for his goodness and his holiness. We don't worship ourselves and our own comforts and our preferences. Psalm 78, it bears it out like this. We will not hide them from their, from their children, but will tell, the, uh, will tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Psalm 71 says, so even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. I love that. God, don't forsake me even with gray hairs into old age until I have told the next generation about your truth and power. This past week, we had our biggest week of youth group ever. Currently, our kids' ministry is overflowing to the point where we need to move the nursery because we are running out of room. This is our calling as the church of Jesus Christ and our scriptural mandate to tell the next generation of the wonders of God, to proclaim the truth of Jesus, to teach them how to follow God. And you have the opportunity to do that here. Knowing, growing, seeking, teaching. And the last one is blessing. Through this, it comes our missions. This comes through the giving of so many in our church as they participate, as we support 180 and Youth Hope at the Brick House, all of the things. This comes as we invite them here and also as our church feeds children at the Bettendorf Middle School every week. It comes as our church seeks to bless our community. Everybody knows Jeremiah 29:11. Does everyone know that? You mount us up on wings like eagles and all that good stuff. That's awesome. But the church doesn't really know Jeremiah 29:7 where the prophet there says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray, for the, uh, pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the Quad Cities. Seek the welfare of Bettendorf and Davenport, Rock Island, Moline, East Moline, even though they want to become the fifth city in this. And it's like, you have the same name. You're just part of the Quad Cities. It's okay. Um, I, I, I don't lose sleep about that. Um, <laughs> seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us into exile. Pray for the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, we will find our welfare. Our calling as a church is to seek the welfare and the benefit of where God has sent us. And this next year, we're going to lean into this calling because we believe that fully formed followers of Jesus 
They have these five qualities. And the last one is they lean into blessing their community. Currently, we're praying about how to help the homeless in our area. Um, There is a huge need for um, help with domestic uh, abuse victims. We want to be the church that helps them. How can we be the church? And I would love for you to partner with us on this. At Christ Family Church, these are the five things that we want and desire for everyone who comes through our church to grow in. And again, it's not just, hey, I'm knowing and growing in all of these things at once, but Focus on scripture first if you're new to Christianity. Focus on reading God's scripture, on knowing him, on following after him. And as that happens, you'll begin to grow more into the image of Jesus. And then next, start seeking the lost. Seek those who are far from God. They're sort of stacking on top of each other, teaching the next generation, and then blessing as well. Will you join in with our church as we seek to grow more into the image of Jesus and we seek to be the church here in our current thing, in our current time, not our thing. These five items, they seem like a big ticket, like a big order, but these do not all have to be done at the same time. We have come to this with the thought of years and years of faithful service to Jesus. Prayerfully, we ask God that what should a disciple of Jesus look like after 20 and 30 and 40 and 100 years of our church? And this is what we see as our calling and our charge to help people grow in, knowing, growing, seeking, teaching, and blessing. And all of these come straight from Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know, uh, and you've never made the decision to follow Christ, if you're here today and you'd like to learn more about following Jesus, I'd love to speak with you this week. I'd encourage you to fill out one of these connect cards, put a star by your name. I'd love to meet with you and pray with you or have my wife do it and meet with you um, as long as she doesn't go into labor. Um, but we'd love to help you follow after Jesus with everything that you are and to be a fully devoted follower of Christ because that's our mission here at Christ Family Church, to live God's truth and grow followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for your life, and for your love, and for what you're doing here at Christ Family Church. We thank you for the mission of this body and what you are calling us to do. And Father, we pray that you would continue to move in us in this 45. We thank you for the past 45 years, and we look forward with expectancy for the next 45. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way and move in and among and through this church. And it's in the words of Jesus we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, again, we hope that you enjoyed that teaching from Pastor Zachary and being a part of what God is doing here at Christ Family Church. If you'd like to come visit us in person sometime, we meet every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. And if you'd like more information on our church, you can head over to ChristFamilyChurch.org. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.